Welcome to Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E, featuring your host, Dr. Deborah Egerton. In this program, we take a look at how you can begin to see how you show up in the world by looking at your Enneagram personality type, improving your relationships, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Deborah Egerton. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world and listening to me right now. Welcome to Exploring the Enneagram with me, Dr. E. I'm really excited to be with you today, and I'm really excited to have one of my favorite guests with me. I make a little joke about going around the world and collecting daughters and young women to mentor and to love. And today I have with me Pega. And Pega, I am not going to say your last name because I'm going to mess it up. Well, I'll say my last name. It's Cadcodian. Cadcodian. I'm going to repeat that so that everybody out there knows that we're all educable. (laughs) 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 We can learn how to pronounce people's names correctly and not just give them some obnoxious nickname because we don't think we can do it. So Pega, or PK, as she is often known in the world, is just one of my most favorite human beings. And recently, we embarked on a journey together. Uh, I began to teach Pega about the Enneagram. And this journey has been so remarkable and so precious and so dear that I asked Pega to come on the show and to talk to all of you about what this journey has been like for her. So Pega, I want you to jump right in here and Let's talk a little bit about your Enneagram journey thus far. Well, Deborah, we've known each other for a few years now. And of course, when I met you, you spoke of the Enneagram. It was something that was uh, foreign to me at the time. I had never heard this word before. But of course, because of my deep respect for you and, and sort of just the instant knowing that you were going to be an important figure in my life and certainly have come to be so much more than a friend and a mentor, really, you feel like family to me. But even at that time, I knew it was something that was calling to me and I needed to explore. And so I began to look into it, as many do, by way of reading books and listening to YouTube channels. And of course, with your guidance, I I went down the path of listening to what I think are the right people. So you steered me Father Richard Rohr, right off the bat. And so my first foray into the Enneagram was to really listen to him on YouTube, which was incredible. And then I began to read the books, you know, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, which I kind of call the the living Bible, right, of, of the Enneagram by Russ Hudson and Don Riso. And um, I, when I began the journey, just couldn't get enough. As you know, uh, when I find something new and I really like it, I just consume it voraciously. And so it was the wisdom of the Enneagram and then the complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut and, you know, the road back to you by Ian Cron. And I just kept reading and reading these books. And, you know, at first glance, I appeared to you and I think to, to many people as a type three, because I have uh, a very ambitious streak. I'm somebody who likes to accomplish things and, um, I'm out there in the world doing things, as you well know. And so I can appear rather three-ish. And in doing my initial assessments, I did, in fact, come back as as a three. You know, as many people do, they take these online tests, and some of them are good, some of them are less accurate. You know, I started off with the free ones. And then when I did the assessment that you and I did together, I actually came back as a Uh, sexual or one-to-one four. And, you know, that being the case, when we did our verbal assessment, of course, you know, we said, oh, yeah, it looks like you could be a a one-to-one four. Now, one thing I love and appreciate about you is that you'll never tell anybody their type, which at times can, of course, feel infuriating when somebody desperately wants to know. And I'm so grateful that you've really given me the space And being the incredible teacher and mentor that you are, you've allowed that journey of exploration to take place. And it has been incredible. I love the fact, Pega, that you were uh, so aware of the reality of how important it was for you to discover your type yourself. And so many people do begin with the 
online free test. And what I would like to share with our listeners about that process is, you know, sometimes, you know, you may get lucky, it might get you into the the right neighborhood, but you may not necessarily find the correct house. Um, Finding your type is a bit of a, a journey. And it is your journey. It is one that you should own and not allow anyone else to take the lead on that. So the online test may give you a little bit of information. But a really important point here is the reality of how difficult it is sometimes to answer some of those questions from a really truthful place. Um, I, I often say to people, if you have four choices, I am mean and stingy, I am open-hearted and generous, it's amazing how many of us are open-hearted and generous. And <laughs> right. <laughs> well, because, you know, we certainly don't want to necessarily face those darker sides of ourselves, which is important when you're taking those online tests. Now, even though I like to believe that I know myself and that I could answer those questions honestly, you know how much work I've done over the years. And so even doing my very best to be as honest as I possibly could be and to heed the guidance of, hey, answer these questions as though you're in your 20s and who you were back then, it still came back what it came back as. And I think there was a little bit of bias for me knowing what the type four was and knowing, again, kind of how to manipulate the, the test in a way, unconsciously, certainly not a thing I was intending to do, but answering those questions in a way that was biased for me. Exactly. Well, it, and the, the difficulty comes in based on the reality that as we go through life, life teaches us some lessons. And when we're at a younger place in our lives, you know, we're more raw. You know, the, the, the personality structure is just kind of there, and we're not really trying to fight it or figure it out. We're just going with it. But as you, as you sort of evolve chronologically, there should come some wisdom and some life experiences that allow you to see things a little bit differently. When you take the online test, sometimes it's difficult to sort out what is there naturally and what you have sort of modified based on you needed some behavior modification. So I talk a lot about how sometimes if you are uh, one of the types that is in the gut center and the challenge there is anger, uh, you may have learned that being angry or letting that anger out may get you into a fair amount of difficulty going through life. Uh, if you're a one, those, you know, sharp words that you may speak to people, or if you're an eight, uh, sort of backing people into a corner and not, not backing down. And even as a nine, just sort of waiting and letting that volcano erupt before you say anything to people, that can be problematic. But the fact that you've learned to work with your anger or your frustration in better ways doesn't mean the anger has just gone away. Exactly. Exactly. And so the journey for me has been, okay, as we explored the the sexual four whose tendency is anger, you know, it, it, it almost hit all the marks when we were looking at the sexual four. It was like, yeah, yeah, okay. But there was something that didn't feel... It didn't click. It didn't click. And, right. and you know, I, I really appreciate now having gone through this journey that truth that when you do come into your actual Enneagram type, it's not comfortable. And I never really understood that before because I was like, well, why wouldn't it be comfortable? You're, you're really just learning about yourself. Why wouldn't that just be wonderful and exciting? And I, you know, I think it could have been a clue that when, I, when we landed on the one-to-one four, I didn't really have a, a, a response or, or an emotional reaction to it. It was like, yeah, okay, that could make sense. And it was very intellectual rather than visceral. And of course, then as we embarked upon this next chapter, you know, and we just went to Egypt together and we're at this Enneagram retreat with the incomparable Russ Hudson doing this deep inner work um, around the heart center and really allowing ourselves to be cracked open by this work, 
I had the incredible God-sent gift of being introduced to a sexual eight who we both befriended, you know, the lovely Latvian lady, um, Elita. Who, liked, who loved to come and giggle with the giggling American girls. Exactly. <laughs> and so the gift that night, and of course, you know, um, your husband, who I lovingly refer to as Papa Bear, having witnessed me at your home over the holidays going, she is not a four. Like, no way <laughs> is she a four. And, you know, you being as prudent as you are saying, let's just let her figure it out. You're right. She's not a four. But just patiently allowing me to come to that on my own. And then here we are in Egypt at this retreat. And we get introduced to this lovely woman who is a sexual eight, who I, of course, immediately gravitated to and who I, you know, it's interesting when I meet people, I have a specific response to them as we all do. And for her, and she, she reflected this back to me, there was just an instant respect. Correct. Where it was Correct. like, I see you and I, I feel your energy. And for eights, especially, you know, when we see another eight, as I'm coming to learn, there's respect. Yes, there, there was sort of a nod. Yeah, like a... Like a, mm, mm, got you. I see got you. you. Exactly. Yeah, and there was this mutual sort of nod where I think our, our tendency as eights can be when we meet people, you know, to um, size them up and categorize and go, mm, yeah, okay, you're over here and you're over there. And certainly it's nothing we do consciously. And, you know, there was just this instant like, okay, okay, all right, uh, there you are. And in our conversations too, you know, there was this sense of, again, us tapping into our eight energy where there was a little bit of sort of challenging one another, but in that recognition of each other's energy going, okay, I'm not even going to. I'm just going, all right, mad respect. I got mad respect for you. Right, I'm not going to step to you, but I see you. (laughs) And I don't have to step to you, which can be the eight tendency to do, but like, I see you. And, um, and, and just that night, you know, we're, we're sitting in your hotel room and we're just talking and being open and vulnerable after days of hard work and learning about presence and, and really allowing for that vulnerability to be there. And she begins to talk about, herself and tell stories, not unlike what would happen on a panel in a workshop. Correct. Now, here I am fortunate enough to have my very own private panel, you know, with my mentor and Enneagram teacher. It's like, how lucky am I, you know, and she's talking and I'm listening and I'm going, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh, everything she's saying, I'm going, yeah, yeah, I totally, that's, you know, and it's like your husband talks about how the very first time he got on a panel of nines, he went, these are my people. These are my people. Correct. And, and I'm sitting there listening to her and I'm going, you're my people. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everything she says, I can relate to it. And, and it's like my mind is being blown and my heart's being cracked open. And I said that evening, it was like I took a breath for the very first time in my life. Like I could actually breathe for the very first time in my life. And I recently had a friend inquire about that. And she said, what was it about that getting to your type that felt so liberating? And I said, because it made everything in my life and every question mark, everything that I haven't been able to understand about the way people respond to me make sense. Absolutely. That's it right there. And it wasn't really comfortable for you, was it? No. I mean, I sat there and, of course, initial response is, oh, I feel so liberated. You know, and it was like, oh, what a relief. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking back at all the times people have said to me that they found me intimidating. And I'm going, I don't understand. What's intimidating about me? I, from my perspective, I'm just this big ball of love and I'm a big squishy kitten inside. And what do you mean I'm intimidating? You know, which, of course, even as I'm saying it, going, what do you mean I'm intimidating? Like, how eight-ish is that, you know? And, and to go, oh, my gosh, I get it now when people used to come to my yoga class and say, I love your yoga class, and I'm just a little bit scared of you, you know? Which made no or, sense to you at the time. None at all. I don't understand. 
or having people say to me, you know, Peggy, you're a little intimidating, you know, or having people say to me, wow, your energy can feel really overpowering at times. I have no awareness of this. I'm just walking around the world being me thinking this is normal. And I have notes of how my is really impacting people. Well, when you look at the eight and you really begin to examine, especially my substrates, right, of being sexual and then self-pres and social being the very last and the most suppressed, well, you get, wow, I'm really have spent most of my life being socially unaware of how it is I'm coming off ball. I, I didn't used to have, I'm gaining more of that now, but I didn't used to have any awareness of how my energy, even just my facial expressions were coming off to people. Exactly. And you know, what I love about you sharing this with our listeners, Pega, is that finding your type and recognizing these are my people, this is my tribe, this is where I fit, this is a, a, a space for me. The reality of it not necessarily being comfortable is something that people don't always understand. So sometimes when you're looking for your type, that type that you most think that you don't want to be or that you couldn't possibly be might just be it, which is why we have to really go on the journey on our own. We can't let other people tell us, oh, this is the way you show up and this is what you are. Because people don't really know what's in your heart. They don't know what you don't see about yourself. And it's important that we discover those things for for ourselves. And much like you, when I first discovered my type, curled up in a little ball and cried my heart out. And that's exactly right. You know, so that night, I didn't sleep. I was just sitting with the realization and, and the, the implication of what this has meant and, the, the, and coming face-to-face with how many people I may have inadvertently hurt uh, unintentionally. And certainly, I don't really believe in regret. I think it's kind of a useless emotion. And... I had an awareness of it, not from the space of regret, but how am I going to do things differently now? You know, and the next day, of course, as we're sitting in the session of the retreat, I just started crying and it was like this, it was like this baptism with, of tears, you know, just this sort of being reborn into myself and really connecting with my essential nature, which has been so tucked away and hidden behind walls, and you like to say barbed wire, which is totally accurate, you know, and and the realization that all of that was going to start come crumbling down, and that I was going to be vulnerable, and how would I navigate this space now, and the realization again of how, of the work I had to do in terms of cleaning up some of the past encounters with people where I may have bulldozed them with my aid energy inadvertently, certainly unintentionally, and just the work that was ahead of me and, and the coming to, to the realization of all of that all at once can be very overwhelming. It's very and, true. And so, you know, to sit there and just allow the tears to flow and what a gift to be in that space with in this container that's incredibly safe with people who are there to love you and support you. And, you know, I just really want to emphasize to everybody that's listening, the power of doing this work in group, in workshop, and I really, in community, like I, I can honestly say that I couldn't have come to this just by reading a book. You know, as you said, when I was reading about the different types the eight was the one that I probably had the most ab reaction to that I felt was the farthest away from me, right? Because we don't want to see the shadow side of ourselves. It's not comfortable. You know, the six was one I couldn't rightly understand, right? Because as an eight, like it's confusing to me that anyone would walk around the world being afraid of everything. Like I'm just like, I don't get it. But 
you know, I didn't have an ab reaction. I had more compassion in my heart for that where it's like, oh, wow. And I wanted, I have sixes in my life who as an eight, I want to protect, you know, I just want to wrap my little arms around them and be like, I got you. You're okay. No one's going to hurt you, you know, and, and, but the eight, you know, and especially having people in my life who I've been very challenged by, who I know are eights, um, I, I, that was a blind spot for me. I, I, I didn't even look at the eight as a possibility. And I understand that because um, eight, nine, and one are all in the belly center. Uh, and there are these challenges that we have with anger. Mm-hmm. And as you know, being with uh, me being a one, uh, it's a very similar challenge. I, I'm coming from a place of wanting to do the right thing wanting to help people, extending myself to give that help, even when no one asked for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to help you out and fix something. And Pega, I can share with you that that experience of finding out that I was a one, it was like a end of life experience where I saw all of these situations sort of floating past me, you know, just going right by of circumstances I had been in where I thought I was being helpful. Uh, And I could see where my words might have been too harsh. Uh, Maybe I could have just stepped back and left that situation alone, because it really wasn't mine to insert myself into. And it's not that you can go back and redo those scenarios. You know, the written hand having written writes and it moves on. But it is the owning of the reality that once you know, you can't really not know, therefore, how are you going to move forward? So exactly. my, my question to you, knowing what you know, what are the challenges that you see moving forward? Well, I was just, you know, having a conversation with someone today about this process of learning how to be who I am, certainly not dim my light um, and continue to be this, to have this fierceness, if you will, while also softening and allowing the feminine to come out because the eight energy is a very masculine energy. So it's the feminine energy that that you're trying to bring out? This feminine yeah, energy. It's the, it's the feminine energy that's that's being called forward and learning how to soften, learning how to stand in my strength and be the goddess, if you will. And just to say, I'm going to stand here in my strength with my heart wide open with the same level of congruence and fierceness. And I'm just going to hold the container. Now, I will communicate to you very clearly how I think things are going to go if it's, you know, if it's my place to do that, but I'm not going to do that with any sort of um, ferociousness or aggression. I can just simply state my truth and say, this is how it's going to be for me. And if you're not okay with that, just very matter of factly, there's the door, you know, and to say, I can hold this container. I have nothing to prove, right? Because most of my life, I feel like I've been, in the space of having to uh, assert myself or prove something with that energy. And now I'm really learning how to stand in the space of, I don't need to do that. I can simply be here and be in my energy and, and with my heart open, just hold the container and hold the space for things to happen, to allow things to happen without inserting myself, exerting myself or doing things that are not necessary in that scenario. And, And I would say, too, from the perspective of interacting with people, allowing a level of awareness to be present, you know, as as Russ was talking about this, an awareness of the other person and where they are energetically, you know, enhancing my social skills and and my ability to read the energy of what's happening in a social scenario or even with another individual as I'm having a conversation with them. I had a tremendous opportunity last night in engaging in a challenging discourse with someone who's incredibly dear to me and 
having that awareness of my eight energy and going, okay, the way that I might have done this in the past is to put up my guard, go to my default strategy of slicing and dicing you with my words, because I'm good at that. And I have an opportunity here to not speak, to be silent, to empty myself out and just be a vessel to really listen to you with my heart. It wasn't easy. It's my def- easy. It's, it wasn't easy, but to yeah. allow her then who, and she's a two, which interestingly enough, the eight path of integration to two is now to see and to see in her that which I am becoming and am just yet accessed, but to also give her the space to access her eight energy, speak up, you know, know, to give her permission. This is very interesting because, you know, we we find out what our types are, um, or we find out the the space that we occupy on the Enneagram map. Um, I don't even like using the terminology of type quite so much anymore because uh, so many people, when they learn the Enneagram, they use it as a box that they put themselves in, and they actually begin to use it as an excuse for bad behavior. Um, You know, we have all nine energies available to us. And, of course, we do have one that I call home base. One of the things that's very difficult to take in when you first are introduced to the Enneagram and you find your your space, that, that home base for you, is that if we could just change our behaviors overnight, we would. You know, we would. I mean, so very often there are people in our lives that we love and we care about and they may look at us and say, you know, you hurt me or the way that you speak to me is hurtful. And it's not our intention to do that. But behaviors that become ingrained and that we have been actually practicing all of our lives are very difficult to just, you know, take that magic wand and make them go away. One of the, the really good lessons, life lessons, I can share with you about those behaviors that you and so many others would like to say, gee, I would just like to stop doing that. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to take all the air out of the room or uh, I don't want to slice and dice people, you know, with my words. It's just to begin to notice your own behavior. And that's what we don't do. We're aware of what other people say and do, and very, very capable of telling them what they need to stop doing. But just beginning to do what I call notice what you notice, and notice it out loud and in a good way. And the more that you notice that behavior that you have now come to realize is alienating or off-putting, not only to others, it becomes equally as alienating and off-putting to you. It, it reaches a point where you literally, you feel like you're slapping yourself yes. every time you go back into that behavior pattern. Yes. And, I, and I'm so present to that right now. I mean, I'm really in the thick of it, which is such a gift. And this conversation last night was such a beautiful opportunity to do just that, to observe, hmm, to notice, ah, there's my tendency to begin to go down that path and then stop myself, say it out loud, and just to say, okay, how do we drop back into the heart space? Of course, this so this conversation last night was such an incredible gift and an opportunity to do just exactly what you described, to pause, to observe the tendency, the default, to watch myself begin to go down that path and then pump the brakes, acknowledge it out loud and say, okay, how do we drop back into the heart space? How do we allow ourselves to just be present? You know, and she as a two, of course, is saying to me, this is not comfortable for me. I don't like to have these confrontation engagements. Couldn't we just walk away and go to our corners? And I'm you know, in the space of honoring what she needs. And, you know, we both really, I acknowledge us because we both sat in the fire of what felt uncomfortable to us. She in the fire of having an opportunity to speak up in a way that she doesn't typically and stand up for herself and really speak her truth. Me in the fire of 
sitting and being quiet. So she had this opportunity to stand in her strength and to speak her truth, which is typically comfortable for her as a two. And there I was in the opportunity to just be quiet and hold space and listen without going to my default of immediately defending or, you know, coming at coming at the scenario with aggression. What a gift. I mean, we both, at the end of that conversation, we hugged, you know, we said, man, I feel so much closer to you than I did before. She said, thank you for being in the fire with me. And I said, thank you for being in the fire with me. Thanks for your willingness to side of what's uncomfortable for you. It certainly wasn't comfortable And, you know, it was such a, you know, for, without the gift of the Enneagram, I'll just say this. For me, that conversation could have gone really poorly. But with the awareness of my tendencies as an A, that conversation was a real opportunity for expansion, for growth, and for deeper connection, you know? gift to be able to navigate that conversation with grace and compassion and now have an even deeper, more authentic connection with someone who is so dear to me. She's like a sister. Right. And what is beautiful about this, Pega, is that being an eight, you know, the, the heart of an eight is so soft and so tender. And so very often because of some of the tendencies to just lean into the aggressive um, personality structure, to lean into just sort of taking over and not allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to hold that space with another human being. The opportunity is missed. It is lost to be able to form that type of deep and beautiful connection. And I'm just curious, how did that feel to you in that moment? It felt foreign. It felt um, like I was wobbly on because I'm standing on new legs. I didn't, you know, it wasn't um, uncomfortable isn't, isn't even the right word. It was foreign. It was like, wow, I've never done it this way before. And it felt good you know, but certainly as we're moving through the process, I was like, whoa, this is different. That is just such a strong sort of visual for me. I can see your your reaction and your response in that moment. And I, I have to say that in, say, coaching eights in the workplace, sometimes I will be working with a manager and I will recommend that they try a different way of talking with their employees, talking with their team. And it is to do some of the things that you're doing now, you know, to actually sit and listen, hold the space, allow someone else to put forth their ideas, their thoughts. And if there is this this need to or this urge to reprimand, to just breathe kind of breathe through it and let whatever it's coming through from the other person be completely heard and completely take it in. And I have to tell you that so many, particularly people who are in positions of leadership, will say, I've never tried that before. And they haven't been able to use the words that you just did. You know, it's like being on wobbly legs, Mm -hmm. but that was their experience as well. You know, this is a new way of doing things and it feels foreign. And I'm so grateful that, you know, she and I had this opportunity for us both to flex muscles that are not, you know, that have atrophied, you know, and that are now asking to be flexed. (laughs) Well, flexed and uh, utilized on a regular basis because, you know, once you get on the path and you decide that you're going to take the Enneagram journey, it is important to be kind to yourself, uh, show as much compassion for yourself as you might show for 
particularly being the eight, being uh, always a champion of the underdog, you know, looking at protecting <laughs> other people. But I want you to protect yourself as well and to be kind to yourself as you begin to walk that path of trying to let what is authentically who you are rise and authentically underneath the big energy and underneath all of the things that you may be experiencing as, oh my, I need to do a lot of cleanup work. Just having the love and compassion for yourself to understand that you don't know what you don't know until you have an opportunity to learn it. Mm-hmm. And now you are learning this and you are navigating a new path on wobbly legs. <laughs> yep. And uh, there will be times in the journey that it feels like you fall back into old behaviors. You pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep walking on down that road. You know, yeah. with as much beauty, elegance, and grace as you always manage to muster. <laughs> well, thank you. And I just, I have to say that I'm just so incredibly grateful that I had that space at the retreat to, to come into this realization. And that, you know, having you as a mentor, I mean... I believe mentorship is so important in general, but to me, the Enneagram is more than a personality typing system as I, as I know it is for you. It is a spiritual path. And so to have somebody guiding that journey for you, and you know, I, I do spiritual work in the world. And as you know, I mentor other people and I do this work, but we all need somebody to help guide us on our path. Um, spiritual or personal or whatever it may be for us. And I'm just so grateful to have that support, to know that I'm not walking this path on my own. And I think that's available to us, whether we have an individual mentor in my case and, you know, the good fortune that I have to have met you or to have that inside of a workshop space or inside of a group or a support system of, of fellow brothers and sisters that are walking path with us. It's so important, I think, as we're on this journey to have that. Well, you know, in all of the spiritual traditions and the the spiritual sort of schools of thought that we come out of, the concept of community is very important. And I know being a Christian, uh, we have from the scriptures, wherever two or more are gathered, uh, Mm -hmm. we are taught to actually try to practice being in the world and actually applying all of the messages of wisdom and love in community. And with working with the Enneagram, it's the same way. Uh, You can really fool yourself if you try to engage in spiritual practices in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, the days of the guru have sort of gone by And we're not anymore looking to just sit on the top of a mountain and uh, meditate. We actually have to enter the world and we have to have exchanges with one another, communicate with one another, and be the light and bring the light into the world. Um, I think so often about people who choose a day of the week that they worship, and then they go out the rest of the week and treat others in such a horrible fashion. So it's living, it's living in a way that reflects the values and the goodness that you are trying to actually cultivate, that you're trying to grow and expand, but not just in yourself, it is also meant to be shared. And that's sometimes where we get a little bit off off path. You know, people will read all the spiritual books and they can recite scripture. But when it comes to interacting with other people, their interactions are really sometimes so hurtful and painful to either be the recipient of or either to just observe. So um, an important point here for all of our listeners is whatever your spiritual practice is, 
don't make it a practice in isolation. Whatever your well, spirit yes. is, please. Agreed. And, and you make a really good point in terms of, you know, reading the scriptures or, you know, conceptualizing things and understanding them from an intellectual perspective. That's all fine and good. But it is really about putting it into practice and, as you say, living it so that you're not just going to worship one day a week and then forgetting everything that happened in that time and in that space or reading some book, standing it from the headspace, but never really putting it into practice. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a living embodiment kind of work that we're doing here with the Enneagram. Well, that is one of the reasons that I love having the Enneagram in my life and being able to teach and mentor other people with the Enneagram because whatever your spiritual background happens to be, uh, the work of the Enneagram really helps to strengthen that. And whether I am saying a rosary or reading the the scriptures, uh, I'm getting an opportunity to really look at some of the things that would separate me from being the light and the love of God that I am intended to be in this world. So I recognize that as an Enneagram type one, uh, there can be times where I would be judgmental. And, you know, not being a perfect being, those behaviors are there. They're part of my, my hardwiring. But if I can just be still and notice, notice what I notice about what I'm thinking, what the inner critic or my inner observer is actually paying attention to, uh, the compassion, the empathy that I begin to feel for myself, and therefore the compassion and empathy that I have for other people will rise up and that actually takes over that moment that could turn into something judgmental, unnecessary, or just mean-spirited. So it's looking at those behaviors, being very honest and clear with yourself, and allowing what's good in you to rise, because it is there. The goodness is always there. And what a world it would be if we could all do that. Absolutely. And that's the goal. Yeah. You know, to hold on to the belief and to trust that as we do our work, that we can actually have other people become curious about what is it about Pega that is so different? <laughs> <laughs> what Quite is it about? I know what I just said to her and I know what I expected to hear back and she's looking at me and smiling. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what is that? Yeah, that's not her usual MO. <laughs> but it's a gift. And I'm just, you know, it, it, and it, the journey for me, no matter how long I've been on this path, 20 years, journey for just begun. Correct. Correct. And Pega, what do you think this is going to do to your relationships? Oh, I can't even... I mean, it's already done wonders for my relationship. Speaking about this interaction last night with someone who is so dear to me, we have deeper bond than we ever could have had in the context of um, intimate relationship, you know, just understanding my hard wiring and my defaults and the way that I have typically in the past chosen to address challenges, you know, now I have a different way of doing things that will lend itself to a deeper sense of compassion for my partner and a deeper sense of compassion for myself and a vulnerability that may not have been present there, which allows for, again, a more spiritual connection in terms of intimate relationship. And then, you know, we've talked about this at length. My relationship with my mother is complex and you know, she sits at two. And of course, again, to emphasize the, there's the, the, the irony is not lost on me there that the growth path for an eight is to two. 
And so there's an opportunity here for incredible healing to occur between my mother and I, and she's, she's no spring chicken anymore. She's getting up there. And what a gift to be able to uh, bridge the gap with her that's existed for most of my life and to have a deeper level of compassion for her and to soften. You know, she is the one person on this planet who triggers me faster than any other living being. And there's an incredible opportunity there for me to examine that and to grow and what a gift she is to me in terms of being the best teacher I've ever had as far as that goes and, and showing me where my, where my wounds are and showing me what, what shadow aspects of myself I have not yet integrated and where my work resides. Like she is my greatest teacher. That's uh, such a beautiful thing to hear. Uh, Last week, my daughter was on the show and we talked about our journey as mother and daughter. And of course, um, Tiffany sits at seven and I'm at one. And Mm. so there's a similar dynamic there. Uh, And I just want to say to all of our listeners that the mother-daughter bond and really being able to look at that and having the lenses of the Enneagram to help you to understand the motivation, the intent, uh, the, you know, the good intention that sometimes turns into an action that ends up alienating instead of helping you to form a closer bond. Uh, I have found that this is an incredibly healing journey as long as you're willing to look at your own behaviors and own what is yours to own and to forgive yourself and to forgive others to continue on the journey. Exactly. So it's a game changer, bottom line. Game changer for you. Now, so what do you think this is going to do for your romantic relationships? Well, I th- you know, as I sort of hinted at before, I think it lends itself to a real spiritual journey, you know, with a partner who is open to this conversation. And of course, um, my partner is somebody who is open to these conversations, which is really beautiful because we have an opportunity to not only get to know each other on a personal level, but to grow together on a spiritual level and and to to mirror something you've said in the past, which is that it gives you a vocabulary um, to function with that is unlike anything else that exists. And so, you know, in the past for me, having been an eight, um, there has been a tendency to put walls up or to be very guarded and to operate in a masculine energy inside of intimate relationships. And now I have the opportunity to let those walls come down, to soften, and to really step into my femininity and to allow myself to really be in my feminine energy because I am, you know, I identify as a woman and I identify, you know, predominantly in the feminine. And so, wow, how liberating to actually be able to to be inside of that space in an intimate relationship. Um, It's not to say that my masculine energy doesn't come in handy from time to time and that I'm not going to continue to harmonize both of those energies, but it's been the ruling energy for most of my life. And so now I get to explore the other side. The interesting part of listening to the way you articulate this is that you are actually describing how going forward, instead of just dealing with symptoms that come mm-hmm. up in a relationship, you will actually be able to go to the root cause. You'll mm-hmm. be able to look at what's really going on because so much of what causes the disconnects in relationships are things that we argue about on the surface, but that's not what's really going on underneath. And this is going to allow you to really take the deeper dive and to go in a vertical into that relationship at a deeper place and to be able to speak your truth with love and kindness Mm. and to be able to be vulnerable enough to say, this is what's hurting me. This is hurtful to me, as opposed to maybe having an angry response. Can you see that? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's been the MO in the past. You know, I've, I've been married before. And as I reflect back on that relationship, I can see now instances of where it, the, the dynamic might have been different. The conversation might have gone in a different direction if I had had the capacity at that time to do what I can do now, which is to be vulnerable. And rather than respond with anger and lash out, and as I said before, slice and dice with my words, my ex-husband used to say to me, I'm just not as good at arguing as you are. Like, you should be a litigator. And that's, that's how I've operated in the world, right? And, you know, now I have the opportunity to be vulnerable and to say from my heart, this is what's really going on. Let me not respond with anger, but let me respond with vulnerability and show you a side of me that I may have kept tucked away and hidden. Absolutely. Well, that is just such a beautiful way to internalize and really integrate all of the lessons that you are learning. And I can see that you're going to take that out into the world with you. And I know that you're on the the journey for the long haul. Mm, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Not looking to get to any dis- destination, but uh, just to enjoy this journey and to continue to learn and to love and to spread that that light and that love in such a beautiful way as you already do. Um, it's just, uh, it's actually an honor and a pleasure to be a mentor to you. And I thank you so much for sharing your experience with our listeners. Well, thank you, Deborah. It's an absolute uh, pleasure, privilege, and honor for me to be on this path with you and to have shared this time in this space with you and your listeners. Well, thank you. And uh, everyone out there, I hope that you'll tune in again next week. I know you enjoyed listening to Pega. We had a recurring theme of mothers and daughters that kind of came up the past two weeks. Tune in next week and let's see what we have for you. Take care and be well. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E. Please join Dr. Deborah Egerton again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a good week.